morning to 2 Samuel 14, 25. 2 Samuel 14, 25. We are in a new series in this new year called Where Are They Now? Um, if you, maybe you saw this show or not, there's a show on VH1 that used to air. I don't really watch that anymore, VH1, it's just all reality shows. Um, but there's a show called Where Are They Now? And they would highlight bands and actors who from the 70s or 80s that were really popular. And then it, they, they caught up with them 20, 30 years later and showed where they were at. Some of these actors were like, and, and these musicians were broke, they were addicted, and others were even dead. And so I enjoyed watching that show to find out what in the world happened to that guy. It's like, hey, you remember the dude from like Wonder Years? Yeah, what happened to Fred Savage, you know? I, I think about that stuff. I don't know about you. You know, I'm thinking, you know, whatever happened to, you know, uh, Tony from, you know, Full House, you know? And that show did that for you. And the sad thing was many of them started off very well, but a lot of them did not finish well and aren't doing well now. That's the same truth for us as believers. There's so many that I, I baptize and they come up and they're like, yeah, I'm ready. There are people who say, I'm going to start well with Jesus. I'm going to do well with the Lord. And then you look and say, what happened to so-and-so? You've done that right in church. I say, oh man, you know, boom, 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 boom. Oh man, they're not even following Jesus anymore? No, they're not. How in the world did that happen? And all of us are subject to that. All of us can fall into that, that realm. Matter of fact, I want you to realize this. One out of three Christians are only going to finish well. Two out of three Christians will not finish well. That means when we have your memorial service, I'll have to say a bunch of false, nice things about you. Because you didn't continue in your walk with God. Studies show in my master's degree, we studied Christians throughout the, the years, studied their timelines, their lives, and only one out of three actually finished with a strong walk with God. Isn't that crazy? So if I went down the road, I'd be like, one, two, sorry. Actually, yeah, um, you do good. You know, you know, you do great. You know, you know, you do great. Only one out of three. Now, I'm not speaking that over you, um, but you've got to know what you're up against. And many of us um, don't want to fall in that category of where are they now. And this morning, we're going to look at a man named Absalom who had a great start but finished very poorly. I've not heard many sermons on Absalom. Maybe you haven't either because he's not in the Hall of Faith. He's not uh, mentioned there. And so we're going to look at him today. And his main problem was arrogance and pride. Arrogance and pride. See, I don't know if you know about you guys, I'm ready for spring to get here, right? I, I'm ready. I'm, I'm past ready. Once Christmas is over, Lord, please bring warm weather. Okay? But one of the things that happens in spring, you have these things in your yard called dandelions that come up. Men that are big on my yard, I'm big on my yard, I love my yard, I hate dandelions because our roots go really deep and that's how pride is. Pride's roots goes really deep into someone's heart. But not only that, you know when you mow over a dandelion and you cut it, it grows back up taller and they actually start to multiply? That's what pride does. Because it has strong roots, it does the same thing. And not only that, but just like a dandelion, um, pride flourishes on the good things. It flourishes in good soil. That's what a dandelion does. And pride feeds on good things that we're doing. And when you look at Absalom, he looked a lot like a dandelion. I want you to look at 2 Samuel 14, 25. And this is kind of his, his statement um, before he fell. 
This is pre-fall. It says, In all Israel there was not a man so highly praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom. From the top of his head to the sole of his foot, there was no blemish in him. Dude had it going on. But Proverbs 16, 18, let me draw your attention just to Proverbs 16, 18 real quick. It's one sentence. It says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. With that being said, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word will not return void. We, we praise you in this place that God, um, as we look at your word, is able to save our souls as we put it in our hearts. We pray right now to remove all distraction from our minds. Um, Lord, help us to worship you with our minds at this point. And we ask God that you would give us insight and illumination into your word today. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And it's in the good name of Jesus that we all prayed and said, Amen. Absalom was David's son, King David. He had everything going for him. I mean, he was next in line to be the king. That's pretty good, right? Show me what you got. I think his is a little better. Absalom was probably voted most likely to succeed. He was the quarterback in high school. He dated the cheerleader. He was the one everyone was looking at like, man, this guy's going to be great, right? Like Absalom, I want him on my team. But Absalom did not finish very well because of pride and arrogance. He ended up raping his sister. Then he turned on his father, David, and tried to split the kingdom. Don't you look at two scriptures, Samuel 14, 5. And then we're going to look at um, uh, first Samuel, uh, excuse me, 2 Samuel 14, 5, and then 2 Samuel 18, 9. And watch this. Here's what he did. His dad was a king. He was the associate king. Now, I love this here. Also, whenever anyone approached him, that's Absalom, to bow down before him, Absalom would reach out his hand, take hold of him, and kiss him. Absalom behaved in this way toward all the Israelites who came to the king asking for justice. And so he stole the hearts of the people of Israel. This was the first church split. This is the associate pastor's like, I'm sorry, he's busy, but come sit with me. I'll handle all your problems. Matter of fact, if you want to, I'll, I'll even start a church and you can come to my church um, if he's not meeting your needs. So Absalom ends up splitting his dad's kingdom. He stole his dad's kingdom. And David, for the second time in his life, is on the run again. But the first time was with Saul. And so he was running away from Saul for 14 years. He thought that was over with and now he's running again. David was in a place where he had a problem he couldn't fix and an enemy he couldn't fight. Think about that. He did not want to kill his son. He loved his son dearly. He couldn't just go kill him. The people turned their backs on him and he was running from cave to cave again trying to stay alive because Absalom wanted him dead. And I want you to look at 2 Samuel 18, 9. And here's what happens to Absalom. Now Absalom happened to meet David's men. Somebody say, ooh. It's not good. He was riding his mule. And I don't want you, but if I'm going to like try to get away from people or be a king in charge, a mule's not my... my method of choice. I don't, I, nobody's ever mistaken a mule for being too fast or too agile, right? <laughs> maybe they are. Maybe I'm mistaken. And as the mule went under the thick branches of a large oak, Absalom's hair got caught in the tree. 
Now, let me show you something. I'm going to prove a point here. I told you in, in the Samson series that Samson was a man's man, right? He didn't have a mullet. Absalom had a mullet. I mean, he was business in the front and party in the back. As he was whipping through, riding his mule, his hair catches the oak tree. And he gets hung up in the oak tree. It's kind of like, again, it's always a good idea until I put the wig on, right? And he had lots of blonde, stringy hair everywhere. He gets caught in the oak tree with his mullet. I mean, I think Absalom was a lame guy, so he had a mullet, right? If you had a mullet back in the 80s, we forgive you. You've, Jesus forgives you. You're, you're cleansed of that, that sin. So Absalom gets caught in the tree, hanging there by his mullet. You know what I picture? Fabio. You guys know Fabio? He was, like, he was like, back in the late 80s, early 90s, he was like, everyone was like, oh, I love Fabio. Fabio had the mullet, he had the long hair, and he, you know, was like perfect in most ladies' eyes. I picture Fabio hanging from the oak tree. Has anyone seen the YouTube videos of Pop, uh, Fabio and the pigeons? Okay, homework for you. Um, he gets pelted by pigeons, and it's so funny um, with that. So he gets caught up in this oak tree, okay? Hanging there, and I want you to catch on here. All right, in, in verse, um, we're going to get to verse, it's like 10 here. He was left hanging in midair while the mule he was riding kept on going. <laughs> he didn't even stay for him. Then Joab, that was David's main man, said, I am not going to wait like this for you. Speaking of David, because David did not want to do it. So he took three javelins in his hand. Now, how do you do that? I don't know. I mean, I guess I, there's a lot of javelins, javelins in one hand. And he plunged them into Absalom's heart while Absalom was still alive in the oak tree. Yeah, this is Bible here. This is rated R. You wouldn't want to see this at the movies. And ten of Joab's armor bearers surrounded Absalom and struck him and killed him. I mean, you just, I mean, they go off on this guy and destroy him. So what we're looking at is a guy with great promise, a great future, and this is how he ends up. We're laughing at him today. Great promise, great future, and he ends up like this. Where are they now? Why do people fall from grace? Why do we see national pastors? I just read a one about, about, about a local guy. Man, I knew this dude. Just committed suicide. Had affairs going on. Never would have known it. Why is it the CEOs are called? They have all the money, but they're going to steal more money? And they go to jail for years. Why is it that we see people with so much potential not end up right? You have dreams for 2014. When the ball dropped, you said, I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to start doing this. I'm going to do all these things. But how many years are we going to end up at the end of the year waiting for a new year to begin to, to be something different? Great potential ends badly. And the issue with Absalom was this. Arrogance and pride. And that's what I want to talk to you about today is arrogance and pride. Absalom was full of it. And all of us, to some extent, are full of this arrogance and pride in some way. Some are better at it with humility than others, but some of us struggle deeply with this. I want to give you four truths about arrogance today from Absalom. We're going to look at his life. The first one you want to write down in your talk notes is this. Arrogance is greedy. 
Arrogance is greedy. Or you could uh, put this, arrogance produces greed. See, Absalom was not satisfied with being second in charge of the kingdom. Absalom wanted more spotlight. He wanted more time with the people. He wanted more fame. He wanted more fortune. He wanted more money. He was not settled. He was greedy for more. And so then he went after his father's kingdom. See, arrogance always demands more than what people in life can give. You always believe you deserve more. That you, you should have more. They should thank me more. They, they should appreciate me more, right? That's what arrogance is. And Absalom believed that deep down inside. And John Piper once said this. He said, the only problem with too much time in the spotlight is that it blinds you. That's what arrogance does. It blinds you. The Apostle Paul had every right to demand more, to be more, to be the apostle of the house. He had every right to do that. He had every right to have men bringing him water and Bibles on stage. He had every right for people to bring him offerings and do all this stuff we see in Christendom today, which is foolishness. If you, you know what he says about himself? Not I'm the set man of the house and I'm this. Here's what he says. 1 Corinthians 15, 9 says, I am the least of the apostles. Uh, Peter, James, John, all that. He says, I'm not even worthy to be in the same boat that they're in. That's humility. But watch his progression. Ephesians 3, 8 says this. I am the very least of all the saints. That means all the Christians. Paul's like, man, I, I shouldn't even be named in their uh, portion. And then watch this. 1 Timothy 1.15, and this is the last of you. He has a progression throughout his, his life. I am the foremost of sinners. The Apostle Paul said that. How many guys do you see on TV with three-piece suits saying, I'm the foremost of sinners. Now send me an offering. You don't hear that. You, you don't hear this humble uh, call that, you know what? I'm just like you. I'm normal. I fail. I fall. And I am. I'm going to tell you something, guys. And what you see here is Paul, who should have demanded more, says, I don't deserve better. See, people with arrogance are never satisfied because they believe they are entitled. There's an entitlement mentality that I need it. It's mine. Give it to me. And that's where Absalom was at. See, humility is, uh, is the opposite. Humility is this. It is... Knowing that God gives anything that you have. The very ability for me to sit on stage and preach to you is not my own ability. The Bible says, by the grace of God, I labor. I am literally preaching because God's grace is not Kevin. If God takes his grace from me, I can't do this. See, humility knows that God gives the strength. He gives the ability. Humble people are content with what God has given. With where God has placed them. Not wanting more. I need it. I demand it. I'm not saying pursue your dreams and pursue uh, more in life. What I'm saying is, where is your heart at with that? Because that's what arrogance is greedy. Wakefield tells the story of the famous inventor Samuel Morse. And he was once asked if he ever encountered situations where he didn't really know what to do. And Morse said this. He said, more than once, and whenever I could not see my way clearly... 
He said, I knelt down and prayed to God for light and understanding. See, Samuel Morse received many accolades for inventing the telegraph. That was like the pre-telephone. If you don't know know the history there, young people. Um, But he always felt undeserving. He never thought he deserved more. Here's what he said. He made this quote. He said, I have made a valuable application of electricity. Watch. Not because I was superior to other men. This is beautiful. But solely because God, who meant it for mankind, must reveal it to someone. And he was pleased to reveal it to me. You know what humble people uh, say? If God can use a donkey, he can use me. If he can speak through a donkey in the Bible, he can speak through me. I'm just a vessel. He could have chosen anyone. He just happened to choose me. And I'm going to be very careful with that. Because people who are arrogant believe that they have something that is superior to other people. Deserving and entitled. Um, I think I was hit hardest with this when I was on tour. And I think it was 2002 or three on one of my last tours. Is that we were touring with a band that um, began to open up for us. And this band got really popular. So... I mean, they're really popular, really quick. And so, even though we were headlining, everybody came to see them. You know? And so, one night in and night out, you know, we would have less people at our shows when we headlined. And I was just really frustrated. And we went to Sacramento, California. We were coming out of I-5, stopped off Sacramento, hung out there, and did a show on a Sunday night. I'll never forget it. I can see the church. I can see everything right now. And we're doing this show, and we're playing last. About 100 kids on a Sunday night, which is really good when you're in Sacramento that far from home. And we got ready to play. Only five kids were left. I'm going to tell you what, guys. We cut the set short. I was angry. I'm not going to drive out here and drive across the country if these kids don't come watch me play. And I blah, blah. And I was just so, I mean, I was, I was, I was that arrogant person you're talking about. Mad. They, got, they stayed for that band. Wouldn't stay for our band. But, and I was just really upset. I'll never forget walking out to the van after the show. There's a note on the van. And it said, Dear band, we are so sorry us and our 30 friends couldn't stay, but we're all in school. In high school, middle school, we had to get home because the show was so late. But we came really to see your band, not the other ones. You know how big I felt when I read that? Because in my mind, I was like angry and had this conversation. And the Lord really at that point showed me the fact that, you know, Kevin, you've got to have more humility. And sometimes it takes us feeling real stupid about something when we're arrogant and deserve more and I want more. And that always gets us in trouble when we're in that place. And Absalom was greedy. He wanted things outside of the timing of God. He wanted it his way in his time and he pushed for what he thought he was deserved. Humility says I deserve much less and I'm so grateful for what I have. Amen. Amen. Anytime that I'm working with pastors, I tell them never think you deserve more. Always say I'm just grateful for what I have. And that's been my sanity at this church as God has chose to bless it. Here's the second point in your notes this morning from the life of Absalom. Is arrogance ignores the danger. Arrogance ignores the danger. Absalom ignored the fact that David had a posse out ready to get him. He was, as I said, riding a mule, which you will not outrun anybody on a mule. <laughs> he was just carefully, if, uh, he had to be flopping his hair or something. I guess that's when he was riding, it was flying up, and it caught in the oak tree. He underestimated. 
He ignored the danger of the situation that was really at hand. And what happens for us is that arrogance will always make us underestimate. How is it that Michigan, the University of Michigan, in 2006 or 7, played the Appalachian State Mountaineers? And Appalachian State upsets the team that was planning on winning the national championship that year. How does that happen? Arrogance. Right. Man, I ain't got to worry about them. Man, I, I walk in here and thump these guys and we'll leave. And we watch them get beat. Arrogance always done that. And listen to something. When arrogance fills our heart, you know what happens? We underestimate sin. The power of sin. So we start flirting with things. We start playing with things. We start texting people who are not our wives and our husbands. Anybody here today? Oh, it's just a high school friend. We, we start um, um, stalking people on Facebook. Right? No, you ain't going to raise your hand on that one. We start dreaming and fantasizing of a life that's different than what we have. Um, we start putting things on credit cards. We start putting God on the back burner. And we start flirting with temptation. I know this is not popular preaching, but it's true. Ignoring the danger of the situation. Arrogance always causes you to do that. In 1969, in past Christian Mississippi, a city there, um, there was a huge hurricane that was coming on shore. Hurricane Camille in 1969. And there was a group of about 20 to 25 people at the Rushaloo Apartments that were having a hurricane party. Had a big one. I, I had one before, you know, before I got saved. Um, had a hurricane party. And Police Chief Jerry Peralta pulls up and goes outside, looks at them, says, hey guys, there's a hurricane coming, it's really big, you may want to leave. They say, man, this is our place, we paid to stay here, you ain't going to remove us from here. He says, okay, I'm not. But do you mind if I get your name so if something happens, your next of kin will know. They were laughing at him, they were talking trash to him, you know, um, ignoring his warning. About 10.15, the front wall of the storm came upon Mississippi. Scientists clocked Camille's wind speed at more than 205 miles per hour. The strongest hurricane on record. Raindrops hit with the force of bullets at that place. The waves were 22 to 28 feet high. And the biggest part of damage to Mississippi was in past Christian at those little section of apartments. All 20 people perished in that storm. All they found was a five-year-old holding on to a mattress um, in the floods when they actually found that. All died. They ignored and they underestimated the power of what that hurricane could do to them. And friends, can I tell you that you look at that and say, that's so stupid, but we're doing the same thing with sin right there. Yeah! Yeah, I'm just partying with sin, buddy. It's okay. And, and you're going to you're going to end up the same way if you're flirting with these things that these guys did right here. And as Absalom did, when you underestimate the danger of the circumstances, humility causes you to be cautious, to set guardrails up and barriers where, you, where, where you're as far from sin as you can be. With athletes, this is true too. I remember Allen Iverson uh, had a, started off with a great career. Ended poorly. And it all turned on a day when they interviewed him and he said in the famous interview, practice? Man, I don't need practice. And the coach said, you're right, Allen. Why don't you go play overseas in Turkey? 
He never got back in the NBA again. He came back one time, sat on the bench because he underestimated the very facts that were going on around him. Practice. I don't need to be cautious. I don't need to practice. I don't need to prepare for what's going on. Friends, let me tell you, we've got to do that. We've got to prepare and be ready and be on guard, but arrogance ignores the danger. Here's your third point this morning. As Absalom was caught in arrogance. Arrogance also refuses, write in your notes, refuses. Absalom did not repent or reconcile with his father. I mean, I really believe that if he would have come to David, David would have grabbed him wholeheartedly and loved on him and restored him and, and, and done that for him. But Absalom did not reconcile. He did not repent. He continued on a path of total disregard for the greatest relationship that he had, which was his father. And, and, and you know what? It's something that you got to realize. When you see people who separate relationship and separate friendship, there's one thing that's separating them. Pride and arrogance. Because somebody's not willing to say, I'm sorry. Somebody's not willing to say, you know what? Um, I was wrong. I ain't apologizing to him. I ain't saying nothing to her because I did nothing wrong. Pride is the thing that will separate relationships. And when you find people full of pride, they don't have a lot of friends. You know why? Because arrogance is the only disease that makes everyone else sick except the person who has it. Arrogance is a lot like bad breath. You don't know it, but everybody else does. And so when you look around at your life and you're wondering why nobody steps up to help you and nobody's responding to you, you got to think, are, are, are you repulsive because of pride? Because as you go around, you don't know you even have it, but everybody else does. It's like bad breath. And you've got to learn that pride separates relationships. Arrogance and pride refuse to reconcile while humility takes the first step of reconciliation. Humility can go to that person and say, I am really sorry. I am sorry that you're hurt. I'm sorry that this is going on. You, know, you don't say so. Maybe, maybe you are right. But you can say you're sorry on a certain level and Absalom refused to do that. Let me ask you a question. Can you apologize for being cursed out? Can you refer someone to another job or even a church after they have sought to destroy you personally? Can you show love and minister to someone after they have hurt you? That's things that, that I have to do. Yeah, every one of them. Forgiveness and reconciliation is the mark of a Christ follower. If you cannot forgive, if you're, you hold bitterness and grudges, then you may, not, you may have never experienced Christ's forgiveness. Because once you realize that he's forgiven you of everything, past, present, and future, it's so much easier to forgive someone else. You're like, Paul, oh, man, you know, gosh, dude, you know, I did much worse to God. I spit on him. I, put, I, I, I nailed him to the cross. Hey, I forgive you easily. That's the number one mark. But we never hear that in church. That's the number one mark of a Christ follower is are you able to forgive? Are you able to reconcile? And let me say this, being at peace with someone doesn't mean being in partnership with them. You, could, you can have forgiveness and peace, but it don't mean you got to go be their best friend again. Hear me. 
You can forgive and then love at a distance. So don't think you've got to go back and be a best friend with someone. But it's a true mark of a follower of Jesus is the ability to forgive. And that comes because Jesus has forgiven us of so much in our lives. Humility is lowering yourself and being the big, bigger person to go to that person and say, I am sorry. Absalom could have said, Daddy, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry for what I've done. I, I repent. Forgive me. And David would have taken him in fully. And quickly, here's your last point this morning about arrogance. Arrogance has no voice. And you could tack on in its life. Arrogance has no voice. Absalom would rather ask forgiveness than permission. He could have went to his dad and said, Dad, I feel like I'm not getting, you know, any time. I feel like I'm not this and that. But he decided to go ahead and, and do the thing that he wanted to do. He had nobody speaking into his life. Nobody. Absalom was the king of his own destiny and future. And see, arrogance is isolated. Arrogance needs no teachers. Arrogance doesn't need anybody else. It's me and King Jesus, only that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches it's you and King Jesus and all King Jesus' men and women. He had nobody, no community of believers speaking into his life saying, Absalom, I believe this is stupid. And he surrounded himself with people who would give him the answer that he wanted. It's exemplified in knowing it all and it cannot receive instruction. See, humility listens. Humility learns. And some of us need to wake up. If you've been in five marriages in five years, it ain't, it ain't, it ain't other people. If you've been in five churches in five years and now you've come to thrive, I'm going to tell you something. We're going to let you down because it's not the churches. You have expectations of people that they can never meet. They can't do it. And you're putting expectations on a church, on, on relationships that can never be met. And then when you start to run into these situations where you keep running into, well, I've been to seven churches in seven years, seven relationships in seven years, and you get to this point, you need somebody speaking to your life. I said, there's a reason you keep, you keep doing this. There's a reason, and let us help you with that. Um, you guys heard from Dayton Burt a few months ago. He's one of my personal mentors. I have four personal mentors who speak in my life, and they say mean things to me to help me. Uh, to, to, to help shape my life. The only man in the Bible, the king in the Bible, who didn't have a prophetic voice was Solomon. Solomon didn't have a prophetic voice. Full of wisdom, no prophet. Every other king in the Bible had a prophet that helped them, that spoke the things of God to them. Solomon didn't have that. And Solomon went out getting hundreds and thousands of wives. He went out uh, doing very bad things, setting up idols of gold because he had no prophetic voice. He had no one speaking into his life. See, arrogance says only God. Humility says I trust God speaking through his people around me. I have friends that I go to. People who help me discern the, the voice of God. The most arrogant people are those that, I've heard God. I don't care what you got to say. And once somebody does that, I step back. You don't need me anymore. You don't need anybody around here anymore. You're good to go. You've graduated. See, humility has a voice in their life. Somebody they can trust to share with them. And whether it's a small group leader, whether it's a men's or women's ministry leader, somebody to do that. Pride and arrogance will destroy us. And my heart in 2014 is that you don't end badly 
right now where you're at, I want you to be better off at the end of 14 than you were starting here. And I believe God has to crucify pride and arrogance. As I've been going through this message, I've been saying, God, speak to my heart. Speak to me. Deal with my heart and the issues of my life. There's a clever salesman, I'm closing, who said this. He said, let me show you something several of your neighbors couldn't afford. He tricked them with, with that. See, God designed the human body that you can't pat yourself on the back easily nor kick yourself in the butt too easily. That's how God designed us. And Proverbs 11.2 says this, When pride comes, then comes shame. But with the humble is wisdom. Where are you at today? I want you to think about it. Beginning of 2014. If pride is what brings the fall and everything, and, and, and you can trace every fall back to pride, is yours with greed? Is your arrogance producing that you want more, you got to have more, and people can't do that for you? Or are you at a place where you're ignoring the danger of a situation? Like Absalom. Are you riding around in your mule just flapping your hair, ignoring the danger that you have an enemy that is after you? Are you at a place where you know you need to forgive some people and you've never forgiven them? And you know you're like, Kevin, man, I, it's eating me up inside. I've got to learn. I've got to forgive these people. Or are you somewhere today where you have no voice in your life? You're just a master of your own destiny. You don't need anybody else. It's you and King Jesus. And you keep running the roadblocks and blaming everybody else. See, today God spoke this because I really believe you're here today by divine appointment. Not by accident. God has you here today because he wants to speak some things into your life. And if you will, bow your head and close your eyes this morning. And with your head bowed and your eyes closed, this is a chance for you to focus on the Lord. I want you to think about right now, maybe you've come to church today because you were waiting for 2014 for a fresh start. You were waiting for 2014 so you could give your life to Christ fresh again and surrender. And that's okay because God has you here today for that. So maybe you're here today. And your proclamation is, Kevin, I need to get right with Jesus. I just need to surrender. I need to give myself to him fully. I need to surrender for the first time. Or I've been a Christian, but I've walked away. And if you're sitting here this morning, you're saying, Kevin, I, it, this is divine appointment that I get right with the Lord. I need that. All I want you to do is just lift your hand up. Just lift your hand and say, that's me, Kevin. I came today just for that. Amen. Amen. Anybody else? I want to be right with Jesus like I never have before. Anybody else? Amen. Amen. Anybody else? Man, that's me. I want to start 2014 off by giving my life to Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you raise your hand, I want you simply to pray this prayer where you're sitting verbally. It's very simple. And the Bible says, if you call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. And so we're going to call upon the Lord's name today. We're going to call upon him. I want you to pray this prayer right after me. And this is the prayer of salvation. You pray, Father God, I admit that I'm a sinner. But I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again for my sins. I confess today Jesus as my Lord and as my Savior. And I commit to live for Him all the days of my life. Thank you God that you have washed away all my sins and you've made me new. 
In Jesus' name I pray. If you're sitting here today with your head bowed and your eyes closed and you're saying, Kevin, I love Jesus, I serve Jesus, but I believe that I have some of Absalom in me. As you spoke this message, God began to speak to my heart about things. And I really need prayer. I, I need God to speak to me. I need God to fill me with his spirit. I need God to fill me with his power. And I really need prayer. If that's you, just lift your hand. If you go ahead and say, man, that's me. I just need God's power. I need his presence. Amen. Courage to make some changes. Right where you're sitting, I'm going to pray for you right now. This is your altar. This is where you are able to sit with God. And he's going to change you as you pray. I'm going to pray for you right now. Father, for all those in this place today that just asked for help. Lord, we thank you that you are a present help in trouble and in time of need. So all those, Lord, that raised their hand during a time of need, I pray right now that you would come to the rescue. That you would fill them with your presence. That even right now, they would sense your presence. I pray, God, if they're flirting with sin, you would, Lord, help them to walk away from that sin and say, I refuse to flirt with disaster. Lord, if it's forgiveness, give them the courage to forgive. Father, if, if it's a place where they're isolated and keep making the same mistakes, bring trusted people into their life. And God, I pray this morning that if it's greed, and they're just saying, man, I just keep wanting more and more, and it's getting me in trouble. It's leading to addiction. It's leading to problems. I pray for that right now, God, that you would set them free this morning by your power, God. We surrender ourselves to you on the first Sunday of this new calendar year, God. Celebrating that when we woke up this morning, your mercies were new to us, God. And we thank you this morning, God, that we believe that we're going to have one of the best calendar years we've ever had because of your great love for all of us. We praise you and we thank you. It's in the awesome name of your good son, Jesus, that we pray. And everyone said, Amen.